Today's scripture reading is from Luke 20, 19 through 26. Please read with me the highlighted verses. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius, whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, can you hear me? All right. Uh, yes, I am that Daniel who people don't listen to. And so, well, thank you for listening to Krista. Thank you for uh, finding your way back to your seats this morning. Uh, what a beautiful, beautiful Sunday to celebrate a new life. And we're not just talking about little babies, but uh, those who are dead come back to life. Uh, those who go from darkness to light. Those who are uh, aliens and strangers uh, to the promise and, and now part of the household of God. And so, uh, what a beautiful, beautiful thing it is. Uh, would you join me in prayer as we begin this time in the Word? Uh, Father, we need to hear you speak again. But we need the Word of God to come alive and be fresh, Lord, to our ears. God, we need, Lord, the Word to come and minister to us so that we hear it and we do not become just hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. Lord, thank you for, for your word that brings uh, life and promise. Lord, we thank you for the word that brings blessing. And Lord, we pray, Lord, as we read the word and as we digest the word and meditate on your word this morning, God, we pray that it would be, bring blessing to us, Lord, to live in a manner worthy of our calling. Father, we thank you for this time and this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When you hear the name Julius Caesar, that name might bring to mind a few different things. Whether it's an iconic and influential leader in Rome 2,000 years ago, or that he was tragically murdered and betrayed by his close friend, Brutus, or the phrase, the Ides of March. Not sure if you know what the Ides of March is. I Gosh, I mean, I feel so ignorant, but it's March 15th, and I, I should have known that. But March 15th, associated with this day that Caesar's misfortune and doom comes, made famous by Shakespeare's play uh, by the name of Julius Caesar, when a soothsayer warns Caesar to beware the Ides of March. Well, that name Caesar might bring to mind other things, 
You might associate his name with sports betting or Caesar's Palace. You might associate his name with the implementation of the Julian calendar or that the month of July was named after him. You might even attach his name to unrelated things. I, just, I always thought that uh, the Caesar salad was named after him, but it's not. <laughs> or Orange Julius. Or the Caesarean section. My wife had three. A little known fact, Julius Caesar was the first Roman to have his own portrait minted on a coin in his lifetime. He may just have been the first to implement the collection of taxes in Rome before Jesus was born. A 1% flat tax rate. Wouldn't that be great? That applied across the entire empire. So as you think about doing your taxes, that may be looming over your head right now as I preach, you can thank Julius Caesar. The payment of taxes in our country has never been popular, and particularly around this time of the year. I can't imagine anyone here in this room loving doing their taxes. And if you do, you're strange, <laughs> much less paying their taxes. Taxes in our country is not voluntary. There is not a voluntary contribution of our taxes. You see, if you want a surefire way to get the attention of the government or how they feel about taxes, you can do so by failing to pay it or pay less than you owe. You might discover quickly how strongly they feel about taxes. You see, whether you're male or female, rich or poor, and back in those days, a Christian or a Jew or a Gentile, you might find yourself having to pay taxes to Rome really by the mere fact that you belong to Rome. So in order to find those uh, eligible for taxes and to collect all the various taxes, the Romans had and hired a tax man, an IRS agent. They would, at the bidding of the Roman Senate, collect taxes in their region. They were often hated and looked down upon. The Pharisees, these uh, spiritual leaders of Israel, communicated their disdain for tax collectors and even in numerous occasions would say, why does Jesus associate? Why does he dine with tax collectors and sinners. Why such a low view of tax collectors? First, as previously noted, no one likes paying taxes, and particularly to an oppressive regime like the Roman Empire in the first century. Perhaps secondly, tax collectors were often Jews who worked for the hated Romans. They were traitors to their own countrymen. They went against what they believed. Third, tax collectors often collected 
more than that, was, that which was required. They would skim off the top and pocket that for their own profits. We might know famous tax collectors in the Gospels like Matthew and Zacchaeus who were tax collector during Jesus' day. Someone once said, if you want to start a good argument, start talking about religion or politics. Either one. But if you want to start a war, then bring religion into your politics. Well, something like that is happening here in our story. The chief priests and scribes pose a question that relates to one of the burning controversies of Israel in their day. What is the proper response to the Roman occupation of Israel? Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And wouldn't we, and wouldn't we in some way, if we did, And wouldn't that be in some way a failure to give all honor and glory to God if we were paying tribute to Caesar, who after all claims to be divine, a God himself? Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we rebel against Caesar? Should we incite a revolution as a way to be a true follower of God, a true Israelite, a true Jewish believer? Should we rebel against the authority of the occupying Romans or should we accommodate ourselves, assimilate ourselves to the culture of that time? But these questions are not that different than the ones you and I ask in the culture we find ourselves in. As it pertains to our own government, how should Christians engage in politics and public witness while remaining faithful to the Lordship of Christ. Why should we submit to a government that we believe is moving in the wrong direction? What should a believer do when they feel that their own government is ungodly or corrupt or unjust? It's difficult to get the politics and the religion just right. But I think Jesus has something to say about that in Luke chapter 20. Starting in verse 19, it says, The scribes and the chief priests, now these are the leaders, the spiritual leaders of Israel. It says they sought to lay hands in a fancy way of saying they were looking at arresting him, perhaps killing him, but lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable, and they're... They're looking at all the parables that, has, that had been uh, told until that point. And again, they are all pointed against the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests and the scribes. And so they planned this, but it says here, they feared the people. In verse 20, so they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. 
And that's exactly the point the religious leaders of Jesus' day were making. But they were not asking because they were sincere. They were not asking because they wanted to be better witnesses or they wanted to do it to the, to the glory of God. But the text tells us that they were looking to trap him. In other words, there was a growing tension in the weeks leading up to the death of Jesus. The religious leaders were trying to destroy Jesus, trap Jesus in his words, to kill Jesus. And it's so funny. It says here, Jesus sent spies. It's funny that they sent spies to do their dirty work, who pretended to be sincere, who might catch him in a point of weakness, that perhaps they might bait him to say something that might get him in trouble with the Roman government. A perfect catch-22. Imagine if social media existed during the times of Jesus or a camera. But they asked Jesus, is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Should we pay taxes to Rome or not? The question had to do with the relationship between God and government. We might even say that the question pertains to the relationship between church and state. How is one who professes true faith in Jesus to relate to a pagan government? It's a good question. But here it's a question intended to trap Jesus. The question itself was designed to discredit Jesus by trapping him in this dilemma. Will you blaspheme God or will you blaspheme the God of the Roman Empire? Julius Caesar. It's a lot like the question that was asked in my philosophy classes in college. Could God create a rock so heavy that he could not lift it? You see, if God could create something he could not do, then he could not be omnipotent, all-powerful. But if God is able to lift the stone, then that would mean he is unable to create something that he could not do. You see, God can either create a stone it cannot lift, or it cannot create a stone it cannot lift. I mean, it's a dilemma, a paradox. They were asking a yes or no question. Is it lawful? Either the tax was lawful or it wasn't. If he told people to pay their taxes, he was finished as a popular hero. I mean, how many followers of Jesus wanted a revolution in Israel that would overthrow the Roman government? If Jesus were to respond, yes, pay taxes to Caesar, kind of the, the mob would gang up on this hero. So tell us, Jesus, do our taxes belong to the government or do they belong to God? Paying taxes to Caesar was a tricky thing. If you think about it, paying taxes was a, I think, a reminder of their slavery in Rome. If you think about it, paying taxes to Caesar was a reminder that they were captives in their own country. If you think about it, the taxes they paid was a reminder of their enslavement to an oppressive government. 
that they were not their own country, that they did not have their own king. If you think about it, paying taxes to Caesar was an acknowledgement that the king that they lived under, the one who gave them the right to rule, the one they were saying, yes, I will submit to their authority, was not a king of Israel, but it was the king of Rome, the dictator of the Roman Empire. So tell us, Jesus, do our taxes belong to the government or do they belong to God? The question is not whether or not any person should pay their taxes, but whether or not a Jew should pay taxes to a heathen, ungodly, Gentile government. It's not a bad question when you think of it. The only wrong thing or the only thing wrong with the question was the intent of those who asked it. I suspect that out of the mouth of someone more genuine or more sincere would have or could have been answered differently. But here are those spies who are there to trap Jesus in his words. So Jesus, as he always does, he asks a question with a question. He asks for a denarius. At least in Matthew's account, a denarius was not just money, though it was that. The denarius was that form of money that was used for paying taxes to Caesar. In Jesus' day, there were different kinds of money. And in uh, Matthew's gospel, Matthew tells us how Jesus paid, a, uh, paid the two drachma temple tax. This is probably more than you need to know, but the tax was not paid with a denarius, but with a drachma. And this is the reason why the money changers were exchanging money in the courts of the temple during that last week of Jesus' life because the temple tax could not be paid with a denarius, with one of the inscription of or the image of Caesar on the coin. And so when Jesus asked to see a denarius, it was because the coin was the one used for paying taxes. And then Jesus asked a second question, now, whose image and inscription is on this coin? And they answer, it's Caesar's. And so Jesus looks at them and says, well, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's giving instruction to his people on how to live in a secular society, even under duress and opposition and persecution, from the ruling authorities in that world. They provide the guidance that the early Christians would need while living under persecution that, again, maybe perhaps gives us guidance to live today. How can we be part of the world and yet not of it? How can we show appropriate respect to secular, civil, political authority while showing ultimate allegiance to God? I want to just, uh, just outline for you uh, out of a commentary that I've been reading. reading um, Philip Graham Ryken says in his commentary, and particularly in this part of the book of Luke, he says that there are things, rightly so, that are owed to Caesar. 
I found this fascinating. He says four things. One, from the text, it tells us our taxes are owed to Caesar. Now, what makes us extraordinary is that Jesus was talking about the Roman Empire, which uh, in, of all the governments was cruel in its oppression, even persecuting the people of God. Nevertheless, Jesus taught them that they owed something to the government, that they owed something to Caesar, that they were to pay their taxes to Caesar. Those things which belong to Caesar should be given back to him. No matter how wisely or unwisely we think our money will be spent, ouch, we do it in obedience to Christ. Perhaps you feel like this about our government. Perhaps you feel that way now with the regime that's in place. Perhaps you felt this way two years ago when a different group of power was in place. I don't think the Bible tells us in 2023 that depending on who's in office, that we should or we shouldn't pay our taxes. And maybe it's not about just our taxes. And again, I know I'm looking around the room and I'm pretty sure that we're all good tax-paying citizens. But oh my, how much we've harbored some of those things in our heart. Why is the government spending my money in that way? It's fascinating how Jesus covers the, the whole gamut, uh, whether a wise or unwise ruler whether godly or ungodly, whether a Christian or not. We are to owe our taxes to Caesar. Number two, Riken says that we owe praying for our leaders. Now, again, this is not directly out of the text. There are other parts of uh, Paul's writing that says we are to pray for our Leaders, again, we know that Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that Christians are people who pray for God to bless governments. He says that supplications and prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all who are high positions. And he says here, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. It is our responsibility, it says. Again, Paul gives us an obligation that we as followers of Jesus, we pray for our leaders. We pray for God to bless our form of government, that we pray for God to bless those who are in office. We pray for them, that God would, that, that they would make a, a godly decisions, perhaps even though they are ungodly. Thirdly, he says, we we owe civil obedience. Again, we're not obligated to do anything immoral or anything that directly uh, com conflicts with the revealed word of God. Nor are we to give up our duty to share the gospel, whatever the government may say. But there is a practicing of civil obedience. And Riken says we owe that to our government. And fourthly, he says that, again, when we think about what we are to render to Caesar, he says we are to participate in the public life. We are not to just to disappear, not to hide ourselves in a 
uh, not to hide ourselves away from society. We are to be of the world, but not in it. Or we are to be in the world, but not of it. Forgive me. Participation in public life. We are citizens of an earthly government, and time and time we may be, be called to serve our fellow citizens, our neighbor in need. Those who don't know Jesus, we're called to participate and be called to serve for the well-being of those who don't know. But it doesn't end there. Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And sometimes we stop right there. Because the part of the, the answer to the question that these spies asked Jesus, should we, give, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we tribute, give tribute to Caesar or not? Uh, Jesus says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. So the question, what belongs to God? Here's a simple answer, and I'm going to give three real quick. One, everything. <laughs> I'm going to go backwards here, and because uh, the number two and number three also include is included in that everything, but number one, everything. Whatever you see, God owns it. God created all things, the heavens and the earth, the sky, the birds, everything. Everything on this earth, God owns. From time to time, we'll sing the song, uh, um, this is my father's world. Because everything that we see, everything that we touch belongs to God. Everything. He created everything. So everything belongs to God. Again, that's a simple answer. But the part that gets me as well is, again, he ties this, I think, to the other part, to give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's. And again, in some strange way, he ties the two things together and says that the things that we give to God, all, I'm sorry, the things that we give to Caesar also belong to God. And it's strange. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. For you see, when we render unto Caesar, we are also really rendering unto God. And there is some strangeness to this that says even when we obey our government, even when we pray for those in authority over us, we're doing it unto God. And there's these strange sections in, the, in Paul's writings when when Paul talks about the relationship between husband and wife and, and says something very, very similar to it, do it as unto the Lord. And it's the same language that says when we're rendering to Caesar, when we're giving to Caesar what is his, we're doing the same thing. We're giving to God as well. And so, again, fascinatingly enough, when we give to Caesar, we're essentially and. We're, we're giving to God. So what are those things that belong to God? 
One, everything. Two, those things we give to Caesar. Number three, everything, those things that are Caesar's, and I love this last part. You. Now think of it for a minute. The coin has Caesar's image on it. And you might ask yourself, where is God's image? We're God's image. In the very beginning of time, as God is creating the first man and the first woman, he lets us know that we're created in the image of God. Every human being is created in the image of God. So if you're going to render back to God what he deserves, what are you going to render? And the answer is you, yourself. You see what Jesus is saying? Oh, it's appropriate to show respect to secular civil authority and to give uh, it's, uh, it, it's due, but your ultimate allegiance is the one in, whom's, in whose image you were created. Give to him what belongs to him, which is the whole of who you are, because he gave you all, and you are, and, and all you have. You are made in his image. You see, God owns all, but more importantly, there is an image that we bear in our souls that reflects the God who created us. In other words, we too belong to him. And what a beautiful picture when we think about baptism, that he buys us again. That we belong to him. That we are God's, that we are made in his image. We are from God's mint, and we are totally his. We have been created in his image. So what Jesus is saying is that your life is now God's, and we have to give it to him, a profound commitment to God. And what is it that you owe? Everything. John Piper writes, worship is what we were created for. This is the final end of all existence, the worship of God. God created the universe so that it would display the worth of his glory. And he created us so that we would see the glory and reflect it by knowing and loving it with all our heart all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength. So give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. And this simple statement that Jesus makes is so profound. Something that's, I think, closest to this day of reckoning is tax day, April 15th. A financial day of reckoning, but Jesus referred to a day when all moral accounts will be settled. He taught that when that day comes, either, will, either people will pay for their sins, separated by God, uh, from God forever, or they'll be re rewarded, accepted on the payment of Jesus on the cross for your sake and mine. It's either the self-payment plan or the Christ payment plan. There's no other option. 
My friends, this morning we get to celebrate that Christ payment plan. The plan where we were totally in over our head. We couldn't pay it. We owed a debt that we could not pay. And so Jesus, he became the willing substitute in our place, the volunteer who went to the cross and paid for the sins of the whole world. For God so loved the world.